This is the Matt Townsend Show. Tell me that's not a pretty amazing dynamic. Your guide on the side. Just bring the honesty and the integrity to the game. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. On BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Leanna Tan, here to give you some of Matt's best tidbits to help you live healthier, happier lives. I don't know myself, but I've seen and heard people say that parenting is the hardest thing they ever did in their lives. And I can imagine you have to figure out how to change a diaper and constantly feed another being, and you have to potty train and deal with tantrums, and then there are preteens who think they own the world and you have to master hormone changes and learn how to communicate with a teenager and set curfews and balance home and life with their social lives and diffuse fights and pay for every little thing they demand. Whew. And then there comes a time when all of that starts to slow down. Your little devils grow up and they pack their bags and move out. Every last one. So, after all those years of chaos, you think you'd be shouting hallelujah and slamming the door shut behind them and throwing a party. But it's not always exactly like that. Despite the stinky diapers and tantrums and name-calling and talking back and all the drama, sometimes having your kids leave the house can feel pretty empty. There seem to be plenty of people shouting advice to people with newborns about how to transition into parenthood or to young adults about how to transition into college. But what about those people transitioning back to couple life? It's one of those life transitions that's often overlooked, so a lot of people don't really know how to deal with the concerns that come with entering into the world of empty nesting. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to hear from two experts, Jim and Linda Brooks, who actually teach classes about this very specific topic. The first segment is all about the reality of empty nesting and what happens when a couple who has been so concerned with raising a bunch of kids the past few decades is suddenly left to just laser focus on each other again. Uh, So today we are bringing on some experts. Dr. Jim Brooks is a practicing psychiatrist. He's published research on post-traumatic stress disorder. He's written several published papers and books on the use of natural medicine and mental health. And his wife, Jim, or Jim's wife, Linda, also uh, has many degrees in education and consciousness studies. She has a background as a management consultant and trainer where she taught communication skills and conflict resolution. So they put these things together, and together they've created a workshop, a program about how to kind of deal with and, and I guess maximize relationships, especially at this stage of empty nesting. So, Dr. Jim and Linda, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Matt. You Thank bet. you, Matt. Good to have you on the show. And uh, now this empty nester, you, you're both empty nesters, I assume. Yes, we are. In fact, I just this last month wrote my last check, uh, support check to my son who graduated from college uh, a few months back, but I still was helping him out because he couldn't find a job, couldn't yeah. find a job. All of a sudden now he found two jobs all at once. Wow. That's got to feel like, so okay, good. baby, this is the last check. <laughs> you know? You're and, free I mean, and clear. Like, my fingers are crossed, but, you That's... know, and it really is amazing. It's, an, it's a feeling of tremendous liberation. Isn't that great? And that's joy, <laughs> and you're free, and... Yet so many people, when they get to this stage, they don't really know what to do, do they? 
You know, Matt, you spoke about the joy of when the last child leaves home. And something that struck me is that it's not always a joy. Very uh, often for a lot of couples, that's when reality sets in. Mm -hmm. And the reality is we haven't, we don't even know who we're with. The reality is we've kind of lost ourselves in these children. Yeah, yeah. My theory is that if when there are children, if the couple didn't keep their, their relationship a priority, then the children become the biggest priority. And in that way, the couple is able to avoid what's really going on between the two of them. Mm. And so 20, 25, 30 years later, when the last kid leaves home, suddenly they look at each other and go, uh-oh, who's Hi. this person? Yeah, who are you? And, so, and, and Matt, even sometimes uh, a, uh, a man or woman in the relationship is just holding on, actually thinking about getting a divorce as soon as the last kid leaves. Yeah, a lot of them are. kind of holding out because, hey, you know, they don't want to hurt the kids. Right. I just read some Hold research that says that the divorce rate actually goes up 16 percent at that stage. Correct. Well, people I'm are trying to figure surprised. it out. Yeah. I'm not surprised to learn that statistic. Well, and it's and it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, it's I guess some of it is we're just busy, right? We have these kids, we're busy. Some of it is we might be hiding. Some of I guess some of this is, and we'll get into this eventually, that we don't have the skills to relate. And then once we start having kids, we don't have the time to work on the skills to relate. That seems like some of the excuses or things I hear from couples that are going through these stages. I think that it's the easy way out Mm. to say, oh, well, instead of dealing with perhaps what my partner did that upset me, instead of talking to my partner about it, um, I just sort of shove it under the mattress, you know, and get on and take care of the family and take care of the kids. You know, the word that I use is it's easy to deflect Mm -hmm. away from the relationship between the two partners towards just making the family or the children the priority. We see that a lot. I think, I bet you do. And is it... It seems like I mean a lot of us got married younger so we were we were fairly naive to who we were anyway. And then we get into a marriage which is a whole new dynamic and then relatively quickly we start adding children which is a whole new dynamic and then the children fade away and we're left back to our second dynamic and we don't have a clue what to do there. Is right. that is that why you guys put together the workshop? Exactly. I mean it's it's hard enough Matt when let's say if there aren't children it's it's marriage is hard enough yeah you know, even, even even with that but then adding kids onto it too it does add the add more stress and it does make things just more difficult because there's less time to be together and that you know, adds a stress on the relationship mm-hmm. so so there's definitely the the the, the stress of, of marriage with kids on top of it. But what happens is, unfortunately, we don't get a course in how to be in relationship. No, I don't. never did. No way. You know, relationship 101, yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing. No. And so we really come in unprepared. We, it's, it's not like even if we're learning to drive, at least they give us a course. <laughs> drive right. That. And at least Why? you have someone driving with you for yeah. a while and a coach, you know. Yeah. So our idea is we see so many couples, especially in the emptiness time, who are just dumbstruck. They don't know where to go once their kids are gone, and mm-hmm. they're facing each other, and they're like, who is this person? And they don't have the skills, they don't have the knowledge to, to, to be with each other, to become more intimate with each other, and they have a lot of old habits that they've picked up along the way. So we are very passionate about 
keeping couples together and enriching couples' lives just by teaching them some very basic skills. What what are the skills and um, what are the skills that you see are most commonly uh, lacking in couples at that stage? And it's probably maybe they're the same skills that we lack through all stages. Um, But what are the skills that, that seem to be lacking the most? So the first thing that I want to say is that the same skills that apply when we become empty nesters mm-hmm. are the skills that we should be using when we're newly married. Right. Because essentially, they're the skills of being in relationship with someone in an intimate relationship. Yeah. And I think probably one of the most important skills that a couple needs to learn is how to be able to communicate with each other safely when things aren't good. Because none of us need to learn how to go through the good times together. That right, one is that easy. we can do. Right. But what happens is that when my partner does something that I'm not happy with, I think it's really important that I should be able to talk to my partner about it in a way that doesn't shame him in the way that doesn't put him down, but in a way that is honoring to me Mm. so that he can become aware of how his actions impacted me. And I think that if couples would learn even just that early on in the early days of their relationship, they won't hit the problems when they become empty nesters. Yeah, that seems like that lack of that inability, what I see in my own practice is the inability to communicate safely means we we either end up, uh, you know, blowing stuff up and fighting more, which is unsafe, or we start hiding stuff more and putting, you know, I call that the, we start pushing it all underground. That's it. But it's going to eventually come out one way or another. Correct. And And, every, uh, go ahead, Mark. I was just going to say, and and I guess when it would come out is, you know, if we, if we're, if we're staying in this marriage because our kids are important, then we would just wait till they're gone. Then it's going to come out. Exactly. And what I, what I see is that anger, resentment is something that just can build and build and build and be unexpressed over right. time. And it's like a wedge. The wedge just gets you know, more and more deeper and deeper, and the, the gap between the couple gets further and further apart because, uh, like, I mean, I'm, I'm a perfect example. I, I'm somebody who never really learned how to express anger. And so my tendency has, has always been to kind of just keep it to myself and not say anything if I'm right. mad at Linda about something. But I lear- you know, I've learned over the years through taking relationship workshops and really working, uh, working on, our, on our relationship that each time a conflict comes up, even if it's something small, to speak up, to, to, to let Linda know what's going on in a way that's safe. And that's a skill that has to be learned. So that nothing builds up over time. Yeah. Because I think it's just little resentments, little resentments. They build and build, and pretty soon there's just it's like the, 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 there's like a wall between the two couples. Well, I think that's that's huge. And then, and then I, it almost seems like we end up, um, and I think this is just part of our physiology, our own brain, our own amygdala, that fight or flight part of us, kind of just starts making up stories about our partner. <laughs> Like they are a threat, like they're out to get us. So then all of a sudden we're always reacting to what they do, kind of more react. We're just being more reactive to our partner than actually sorting through stuff and being real. Yeah. And in fact, in our, in our workshop, one of the things we do is we take a look at that amygdala rea- a reaction. We call that the, the reptilian part of yeah. ourselves. You know, that, that when, 
when my partner triggers me, uh, there, there's some wounding, you know, that, that happened way back when, and, and she says something or does something that triggers me, and I immediately go on the defensive. My, yeah. my iguana or my whatever yeah. kind of reptile you that can lizard. think of <laughs> just comes out and, and, uh, to protect myself. Yeah. And then it just it's just a snowballing uh-huh. vicious cycle. Well, and then your partner so one, one would react we, to your one lizard. of the things we teach is to is to how to recognize when I'm being triggered, how to recognize that and immediately let my partner know so that she so that she can then help me and take care of me at that time. It it it's the ability to become vulnerable even just for a second or mm. two rather than just go on a defensive. And that takes some training. Yeah, absolutely. That's another thing we really work with people on is to how to, when triggered, how to, uh, instead of just going on the defensive, recognizing what's going on, give a signal to our partner. And then, in my case, I'll say, give Linda a signal, and she'll come and, and kind of soothe me and help me at more at the level where my vulnerability is, rather than just at this defensive level going back and forth to reptiles. Yeah. That to me, that's what real partnerships are about. Then is we're we're going to help each other through these reactive moments. We're not going to react just because you're reacting. I mean, Linda doesn't need to turn into a snake because you're a lizard. Um, so, Absolutely right. And I think that that another um, thing that couples need to know is that it is inevitable that we are going to trigger our partner. Sure. As hard as we try not yep. to, it's inevitable that that's going to happen. I agree. And so like, that's the key is we need to then know what to do when the trigger takes place and, then, and how to kind of soothe each other, how to get exactly. through it together instead of turning it into a fight. Yeah. And, the, and the ironic thing is that the conflict, when it comes out, can actually become an opportunity for closeness and, and intimacy. Yeah, because like you were be, saying, you're vulnerable. Yeah. And if we and, can be vulnerable. And if one has the, if one has the skills how to negotiate those times, then those moments, those become opportunities to really get more close and intimate if one, if the couple can work through that in a, in a clean kind of way, in a healthy kind of way. Oh, then I it's like, it. oh, wow, we did it together. Hey, and it's this feeling of closeness that's just incredible. And, and the relationship it. builds you know, in a positive way. I there. think it's profound. And uh, what we're going to do, we're going to take a break. And when we come back from this break, we're going to have, um, we're going to be bringing on a couple of participants, friends of Jim and Linda who have gone through their program, um, empty newly, uh, new empty nesters. And they're going to give us kind of their take on what they've learned. We're going to then get into a lot of solutions and tools from Jim and Linda and uh, just do what we can to give you the skills to uh, effectively manage your relationships through the empty nesting stage. You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We're listening to Jim and Linda Brooks talk to Matt about the realities of empty nesting. One of the big challenges of empty nesting isn't just the loneliness that comes when you suddenly don't have a handful of kids running around the house, but the fact that you have to figure out how to live with just your spouse again. And if it's been decades since that's been the case, sometimes it can be difficult. Matt said that during this transitional time, it's said that divorce rates go up 
16% because couples can't figure out how to live one-on-one again. Linda said that this problem can often occur when couples don't address their own marital problems while they're raising their kids. A lot of people just use kids as an excuse to hide from their real issues with their spouse and to keep them busy so they don't have to address what's really going on behind the scenes. And then once the kids are gone and their issues are out there exposed to each other again, they've forgotten how to communicate with each other to work through them. So Jim and Linda are experts who actually teach a class to couples about this very thing to help them work through this tough transitional period. This next segment is actually an interview with two of their clients, all about what they learned from Jim and Linda's course. They are uh, their friends, right? Uh, Michael and Don McKay, and they're going to be joining us. Michael and Don, are you on the phone? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. So you've been through the program with Jim and Linda, and uh, and you're also empty nesters. Tell tell us what you learned in in that whole process. Well, we're recent empty nesters. Our daughter left uh, in August for uh, as a freshman in college. She's our only child uh, 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 that we have, and and uh, it was quite a big transition. <laughs> was it big? Did Did you go through either of you uh, some of the depression that we were talking about with Linda? That kind of that seems to go around as part of empty nest syndrome. Yeah, there, I think there was for a, a period of time, especially for me, that I felt uh, kind of just a, a general sort of sadness, I guess you would mm-hmm. say, that kind of uh, was took its time in, you know, in dissipating. Um, I guess I wouldn't call it a full-blown depression, but I it definitely colored my day for it's a while. It's kind of just sad. Then, it's a sadness. Uh, Go ahead. I was just saying, it's like a, it's a sadness. You're, it's almost like you're mourning a loss. Yeah, there's a kind of a little grief process for sure, a cycle of being up and down, and uh, and finding a new way to operate uh, in our relationship together and and in our daily routine. And for me, it was uh, rather stunningly and shockingly uh, <laughs> <laughs> painful. Uh, it was kind of a unexpected, uh, even though we could see it clearly coming from a yeah, long sure. way away. And uh, the interesting thing was is that I, I felt that the transition was as dramatic for me as it was when we first brought her home. You know, really? <clears throat> there was a, you know, this new life in our, our life that suddenly became the focal point, and all of a sudden, you know, oh, hey, I know you. you know, yeah. Now i got to focus back on this uh, primary original relationship. Isn't that And it was a rediscovery process. And I thought it was very fortunate that we, at that time, took uh, the uh, program that Jim and Linda offer because uh, that really helped us uh, orient ourselves. What, what did you notice uh, as you went through the program? What, what, did, what did you learn the, that helped the most? What were some of the things that stood out for you as, you know, essential to being able to make it through this stage? Well, I think one of the most important things that uh, the uh, program really offers is to uh, discover uh, a way uh, that you can create greater endearment on a daily basis. Yeah, there's a daily ritual that I really appreciated because it it sets off um, a daily routine for us um, and... it, it, it grows every day, which is a beautiful, beautiful hmm. thing to have. 
There were actually several different things that uh, we learned during the um, uh, during the weekend. There is a, a particular kind of conflict res resolution methodology that they use, which I thought was very good. Um, but that's uh, uh, and that's very valuable. Uh, we don't have a tremendous amount of conflicts, but we've used it. Uh, uh, I think once or so. Mm -hmm. But then there's this other one that uh, uh, we learned that was uh, something was really new, and that, that had to do with how to call for help hmm. when one of us or the other was actually uh, feeling like, oh, you know what, I'm kind of succumbing to a, uh, a pattern that really doesn't work for me. That's so, the one that Jim and Linda were just talking about. Is that, uh, Jim and Linda, is that the one that you were talking about before our break? Where you just exactly. you yeah. can just say, "Hey, yeah, I'm losing it here." Yeah, and we go through a whole uh, series of, of uh, you know, we uh, working with a couple to get what what is their deepest vulnerability? What is the what is the deepest, most painful thing that gets triggered by by, by conveniently by my partner? Hmm. She seems to know how to press that button every time. Yeah. magically. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, she's mastered that button. That's her favorite <laughs> button. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then what you do, I guess, is you you get them deep to understand what their deepest vulnerability is, and then you help them create together a way to to invite the other people person to help them handle this moment differently. Yes, the first thing is that the person who's been triggered actually needs to take ownership and recognize what is happening to them, hmm. and in that in that state then ask the partner for help. And then the second thing is that we work with the partners so that the partner will know exactly how to respond in the most appropriate way to give the help that's needed at that time. Well, that's huge. And think of that, too, how important that would be at this stage when we're already vulnerable. And, exactly. <laughs> right? Is that what you guys noticed, uh, Michael and Don, is you're already vulnerable anyway, but to right. learn those skills, it's almost like you, you started new, anew. Oh, very definitely. Yeah, I would say that that's a wonderful way to, to describe it. And um, I also appreciated that uh, along with these tools, I have a little crib sheet mm. <laughs> to help me. It's like, oh, I'm in this spot. I'm going to go run to my reference, and then we can deal with this. It's, it's so helpful. Isn't it great? Because it seems like we, a lot of people think that this should just be natural. You should, yeah. just, you should just naturally communicate. I mean, if we loved each other, it would just be easy. <laughs> and, and then every, whenever somebody says that, I think, yeah, it should be natural and easy, like, I don't know, childbirth. Yeah. <laughs> which is just so natural. That's probably the biggest illusion that people live under, yeah. is that we're all born with the ability of how to be in a successful relationship. Right. Mm -hmm. No, and in a way, we're almost more born kind of innately, it seems like, to just self-preserve uh, versus to preserve the relationship seems kind of like an afterthought. <laughs> it's, yeah, that's when that's more primary. Yeah. Multiple individuals, when, when more than one person is involved, when I have to be involved with any other person, I have to start thinking beyond myself. Mm. And if I'm not first clear about myself, it's very hard to think about the other person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And 
And so we become, you know, uh, there's a saying I like that it's hard to read the label from inside the bottle. <laughs> and, um, you know, my wife reads my label. I read her label pretty darn well. Right. But, <laughs> yeah, we can read everyone else's label. Yeah, but it's kind of hard to read my own, you know. Yeah. But and their label's the so messed up. The relationship where we can learn to actually help each other grow. I think right. that's, I mean, the neat thing I think I'm hearing is that this is teachable. This is learnable. Um, as as we kind of wrap up this segment, uh, I'd love to hear um, from Michael and Don what uh, what stands out. Like, how has it really impacted you as a couple now to be able to to be together, to be alone, and and maybe take your marriage relationship to this whole new level? Well, I think we recognize uh, we've been talking a lot about it as to what is our our next step, we realize that we have to create a new a life because the life that we have been focused on for the last 18 years is, is definitely changed. And so now, what are we going to do? And we have to make it work. And we're very optimistic about that. Just having optimism to be together is probably worth whatever it costs to get into the program. <laughs> exactly. Do you know what I mean? I, we got a toolbox now that that works for us, and I feel so fortunate. It's like the pressure's off of how to make this next chapter in our life work. It's, it's going to be, you know, without sounding too corny, mm-hmm. a new adventure that we're really looking forward to, which follows right in with adventures in partnering. Yeah, well, for <laughs> me, it was just, it's, it's very, very much close to that. It's like it, the question of whether we can is now how do we want to do it? Yeah. Love that. And it's really, um, to me, that is so hopeful. So if, as, as there's people out there driving home from work or a truck driver going on a long haul and having to return home to his wife and their empty nesting uh, life, there's hope is what you're saying. Sure. Yeah, and it's exciting. It's not just hopeful. It's, it's exciting. We get to make a new a new chapter that we're looking forward to. And I, I think it's it. also improved our relationship with our daughter. We don't feel there's this edge that was there of, oh, you know, kind of this conflict of you're leaving now. But now we recognize <laughs> she's launching. Yeah. And she's not leaving. She's launching. She's not just leaving you with that lady, her yeah. mother. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> great. It's really it's that is, great. And I love the idea that it's exciting because, I mean, really, that's why we fell in love in the first place. We're back. We can maybe make it back to exciting again. Well, so appreciate you, Michael and Don McKay, being on the phone with us. Um, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to come back to Jim and Linda, and they're going to teach us some of their workshop. They're going to give us the tools, some more ideas, maybe talk about rituals, a little bit of conflict resolution, and uh, give us the tools we need to make this work. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We just finished a segment with two clients who took a class from Jim and Linda Brooks about how to transition into empty nesting and heard what they learned. I think it's important for parents to recognize that, along with more time to golf and quilt and vacation to the Bahamas, 
there will also be feelings of depression, grief, and sometimes even mourning that accompany children leaving the home. They're a part of you and have been the main part of your life for decades, so it's normal to feel that it's sudden when they leave, and it's normal to need someone there to help you cope. And that's why Jim and Linda give this course to help couples lean on each other rather than having this transitional time tear couples apart. You should have optimism to be together and get to have alone time again, but it's not always easy. They taught that couples need to have daily rituals and call to their partners for help to tell them when they feel vulnerable and that the partner needs to learn how to respond. So we're going to continue listening to this interview where Jim and Linda go into more detail about what tools we need to cope with this concept of empty nesting and how we can help our partners through it too. But uh, we're, we've been talking about empty nesting. Now some, you know, but the boomerang kids were a real deal. And so we need the skills to communicate and to relate and to connect as a partnership. Whether our kids come back or they stay away, we need to know how to relate to each other and to connect. We brought our experts, Jim Brooks, who's a practicing psychiatrist, um, and his wife, Linda Brooks, who is a trainer, a management consultant expert. She's taught, uh, has, a, has, a double, uh, has a degree in education and consciousness studies. And really, they, they've, they've given some powerful tools already for how to make sure your relationship can grow healthy and strong. Before the break, we brought on um, two of their clients that had come to one of their programs, um, and they just talked about some of the wonderful things they learned. So we're going to bring Jim Brooks back on. And Linda, are you with us again? Yes, we are. Yes, we're here. Well, as we, as we go through this last segment, what I'd love to hear are, are just some of the tools. What are some of the things that, that you've seen in your, your experience with people that, that seem to matter the most? We've talked a little bit about, um, I guess, kind of the, the how to call for help. You know, when, when you're struggling and you're frustrated and you start to feel that you're being triggered a little bit, how do you enroll your partner to help you? We've learned a little bit about that, but can you, can you tell us maybe a little more about that? The, um, uh, the McKay's brought up the fact that you also talk about rituals and the importance of having some connected moment every day. Yeah, uh, the rituals, actually, uh, John Gottman, who's one of the uh, major researchers uh, working with a relationship relationships, uh, he says that, uh, he has found that uh, if the more positive rituals a couple has, the more likely they're going to have a successful relationship. And by positive rituals, there's, the sky is the limit, but it just basically means spending time together, spending quality time together, and ritual just means regularly. So, so regular time might, connecting. Regular time connecting. It's huge. And it might be going to a movie every, every Friday night together. It might be having dinner together at night. It might be giving a kiss uh, before, you know, when, when leaving the house and coming back home or a hug. These, these things that get built in as rituals are, are really powerful. And on our, on our workshop, we teach some specific rituals that people hadn't heard of before that just really puts into place a very loving interaction, hmm. very brief but very loving uh, interaction between the couple that they do every day on a regular basis. It seems I like when that... you're dating, you already, you're already you doing these rituals all the time, back in the day. 
Oh, yeah. I, mean, I that, think the yeah. thing about ritual is that it's something that we do on a regular basis. Mm. And so, as you say, when we're dating, we might have a regular date night in place. Right. But what happens is very often when we start having kids, that falls away. Right. And then, and and, then the, when it's no longer regular, I mean, regular for some seems like that would be, you know, monotonous and boring. But regular in marriage, I found, is very healthy. <laughs> Right, because what happens is it's very easy to to get lost in everything that has to be done, the sort of task-oriented side of mm-hmm. being married, you know, getting the kids off to school and getting the meals prepared and getting the house cleaned and such like. Yeah. And so what we're um, reminding people about is the importance of, on a regular basis, paying attention and giving attention to your relationship. One really good example that I've picked up along the way, I hope Linda has noticed. <laughs> I never really asked her. But every time I send her an email, because we, work, we don't work in the same place uh, often, but we email back and forth. Every time I send her an email, I try to say something loving in the email or give one of those, you know, those little pictures mm-hmm. that you can click. I just, a, a, a flower or a heart or a smiley face or huh. every single time I just make it a habit, a ritual. And that's the, that's the that's an example of a of something putting putting something into place on a regular basis. That's and Linda, how did the, how does that work for you? I never really asked you. If you really want to know the truth, yes, I am aware of the little touch of I'm thinking of you in a positive way that he's building in. And it's wonderful. It just sort of reminds me, oh, even though this person is my business partner, he's also my personal, my intimate partner. Mm. See, that's the, and that, notice that's just a little effort, but it it just pays such a huge dividend, doesn't it? And it's so easy, I think, for us to get lost in in sort of our own lives. I'm busy doing this, he's busy doing that. And so something that we do on a regular basis, and it also, um, one of the things that we teach couples is the importance of eye contact. Mm, because. Yeah. Most people, you know, hardly look at each other. And so it's just on a regular basis, make sure that you're looking at each other, that you're actually connecting with each other. And I've heard that, I haven't really found the research, but one of our mentors told us about a research study where the average amount of time that a couple uh, consciously looks at each other's eyes per week is 30 seconds or less. Mm. That is sad, because when you were first dating, you couldn't take your eyes off each other. I know. And now we can barely look at each other. Don't make me look at you. I'm married to you. Isn't that sad? But I guess, so you're just saying, a lot of this just sounds um, like making intentional things that matter, uh, like little loving rituals, eye contact, and making that an intentional act. Yeah, I think that that's a very good way of of understanding what we're saying, because too often um, we 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 just we don't think of being intentional about the relationship. So as you say, it's just a matter of switching our attention and saying, "I am intentionally going to focus on my partner here," and and it just needs to take a few seconds. Right. Another good ritual that at least in my opinion, a good ritual that we recommend couples do, after, especially after they take our workshop and gain some skills, but anyone could, could do this. And that is about once a week, just sit together for maybe 10 minutes and just talk about 
anything, yeah. anything at all that's going on. Because oftentimes things happen, things build up, emotions build up, sometimes just ideas build up, and we never communicate with each other about it. So we just say five minutes for one, one person, they just talk, the other person just listens. And then the other person has five minutes just to talk. The other person just listens. Well, don't. That's am I not huge. supposed to fix it? Because when I listen, I like to just fix it for them. <laughs> that's, why, that's why the other person just listens. That's it. <laughs> what, what a relief to just know. <laughs> I am a total man. But what, what a relief to know that all we have to do is just, you can share and I can just hear it. That's it. And, and that's also, of course, where we can sneakily build in some time for eye contact. Mm-hmm. Because while I'm listening, I'm looking at and making eye contact with my partner. Yeah, I think that's the way to do it. I mean, and, and I found that eye contact, I do activities with my clients as well on that. And honestly, I don't know that I've ever found anything that creates more softening mm-hmm. and more closeness than somebody just doing eye contact. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it really, you wouldn't think it would make that big of a deal, but it's, it, it's just so real, isn't it? it, it you yeah. can no longer, I can no longer just treat you like this irrelevant thing if I'm looking in your eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Because the expression goes that the eyes are the window to the soul. Yeah. And so what we're doing is we're really opening up to our partners. You know, we like to play on the words intimacy, that intimacy is, a, is you can regard it as into me see, mm. intimacy. And so if we're making eye contact and talking to each other and, and you really listening to me, this is my turn to talk and you're not going to try and fix it and you're not going to correct me, you're just going to hear what I have to say, then I really have the experience that you are into me seeing. I love that. And that's, to me, that's, if we could just get that spirit down, it seems like everything else would kind of follow. Mm-hmm. You know? We, we, and then, you know, Matt, while we're on the topic of communication, something else that we really emphasize with people is when you're talking to really own what is your own opinion mm. versus what happened what factually happened so instead of saying to your partner you did such and such to rather say it seemed to me that you were doing such and such so that i'm owning that that's my interpretation of what you did instead of stating it that's what we tend to do huh is we kind of just we just we state our opinions um as a fact instead Mm -hmm. of like an impression or a sense, you know, we, and we're so strong that it seems like we end up, I don't know, it seems like just our very language, like you're trying to get the language straight, uh, makes it so much easier for me to hear. Right. And I think that probably 80% of communication problems can be solved if people would simply own their assessment or interpretation or sort of the story that I tell myself mm-hmm. is that you're doing such and such. Yeah. In my view, yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I think in that's... In my view. And so that's kind of where we say the eyes instead of the you. You're such a... Exactly. Yeah. There's another piece to communication, too, that we really emphasize that's good for people to be aware of, and that's feelings. In every conversation, it's useful to, I, to own what it is that I'm feeling, as opposed to like, so many people say, you made me feel such and such a way, yeah. or I feel you're a such and such a way. And actually... Feelings are like colors. There's primary colors. 
and there's and most researchers identify there's there's four or five primary feelings. So in the course of talking to your partner, if you can just say, use uh, identify what which feeling is is up for me. Am I sad? I'm sad that. Mm. Am I angry? I'm angry that when such and such happened. I feel angry. Just doing that, owning the feelings rather than putting them onto somebody else is also huge. It's powerful. It's also powerful because I I actually can hear what you're saying. Oh, okay. Oh, so you're feeling angry. Yes. yes. Instead of me having to guess, are you angry or are you exactly. just being rude? Or, or expressing anger, anger sideways or in a passive-aggressive way uh-huh. or in, in, in an aggressive way. Rather than say it and own it. I love that. As we, uh, as we wrap up now, can you, can you each give us, just give us what's the one thing that if, we, if, if, our, if our listeners could just take away one thing, what is the one thing that makes the biggest difference maybe as, as we're left in this empty nesting stage? Knowing that my partner is my friend and is my healer, that she has the capacity, he or she has the capacity to really help me grow and, and be there for me uh, rather than uh, as a friend and as an ally rather than as an enemy. And it's just a matter of learning the skills so to enable that to happen. Love that. Uh, Linda, how about you? I think for me probably the most important is to not stuff our feelings but to be willing to talk to our partner and tell our partner what is going on for us so that so that it doesn't build inside of us but that we are able to share with our partner what's going on and the, and through the sharing and the willingness to share i guess that's where the partnerships become right powerful right. stuff and yeah. they, so this is uh, dr jim brooks and uh, Linda Brooks, they are the um, they're founders on www.adventuresinpartnering.com, where they have couples retreats for couples. I highly suggest you go check those out and just look at their website, see all their other services. They have FAQs there as well that you can you can have answered, and it's a great way to contact them. To the Brooks family, we appreciate you being on the show. Thank you for uh, everything you've given us. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you so Thank much, you. Matt. And we appreciate that. And when we come back, we're going to wrap up the show. You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. In the last segment, we finished off a great interview with two experts, Jim and Linda Brooks, about coping with the transition into empty nesting and finding your intimate relationship with your spouse again. The main thing that they kept saying in the last segment was that it's all about having brief, intentional, loving interactions every day with your spouse. You have to make a concerted effort to fuel the fire or it will flicker out. So these interactions are like rituals because you do them every day. It can be little stuff like sending them a loving message or even just sitting there and making eye contact with your spouse while you listen to them. They talked about how that simple act can make a huge difference in your relationship. They said that it's all about communication and letting your partner know they are your friend and trusting them enough to tell your partner 
what's going on. So to finish off today's episode, I want to highlight that part of today's lesson. And I'm going to play back a coaching corner that Matt did all about trust and communication in relationships. We really are fine-tuned machines. And these machines that we all end up uh, playing and, and, and somehow we all are a part of the same culture where we can pick up those traits together. Tell me that's not a pretty amazing dynamic. And to think that, uh, remember, it was it was a, another trait that we've designed, we've kind of grown in order to be more social animals, right? I mean, we, we've grown and, and developed ourselves um, into this ability to read the tonal quality of somebody and know if we trust their modulation or not. And uh, also we can see if we trust their dominance or not and if we can trust their competency or not. So if that doesn't tell you that we are born to be connected social beings, I don't, I don't know what would. We are uniquely um, developed and, and prepared to be with people. We have um, – uh, we've learned from rhesus monkeys and other uh, research that's been done that we have certain abilities to pick up on, um, on the ability to read people's uh, nonverbal uh, affect and, and emotional affect. We have the ability to actually have mirror neurons where – if I'm watching somebody in pain and my brain is uh, actually watching somebody that's that's sad, like, for example, the shootings in Florida or any of the shootings uh, that we and you're watching and you're feeling very empathetic and very caring toward another, we could go into your brain and we would notice that you are in the brain center or the part of your brain that would actually relate to the human emotion and the feelings and that you are actually mirroring the feelings of other people. We've learned that from studies with monkeys and other, um, and other primates. And, and even we all know that for some odd reason, we're fine until someone else starts crying. And once someone starts crying that we really love and we care about, for some reason, our emotion starts to kick in and we start to cry. What that tells you, again, is you're wired to connect. And we can try to pretend like we're not. We can try to outthink it. We can pretend like we don't care. But the reality is we care. And we've got to figure out a way, I believe, to start uh, not just hoping that we can somehow have a shortcut to trusting someone and creating trustworthiness, but maybe what we need to create really more than anything is more of an ability to actually grow trust with other people. So think about it in your life, in your relationships. What creates higher trust for you and the people around you? There is a, there's a great book out, and he's been on the show many times, uh, two or three times actually, Stephen M. R. Covey, where we've talked about the speed of trust. And trust uh, to Stephen Covey and Stephen M. R. Covey was two things always. Character, which means you, you have the integrity and the character to do what you say you're going to do. You really just bring the honesty and the integrity to the game. And we tend to trust people that have that. But you also have to have the competency. You have to know what on earth you're doing. It's not enough to trust somebody that's just really nice. They also have to bring competency. So think about that with the people around you in your life. Are you trustworthy to your kids? Do you know how to be their friend? Do you know how to connect to them? Some of us as parents, we just don't know how to do it. We don't know how to relate to our children. Some of us, it's, it's a character issue. 
We don't have the integrity, the character to do it. Some of us, we don't necessarily have the competency to do it. We don't know how to relate. The benefit of all of this, though, is that we can learn this. These are skills. These are tools that we can truly learn and we, we can grow. And I'm going to suggest that if we had a choice for th- something we should probably try to improve in our relationships, if you want more trust in your relationship, I would suggest you forge more character. Use your relationship to forge more character. And I'm going to give you a few steps, a few ways to do that in today's Coaching Corner. Number one way to exercise your character in your relationship is to be more wholehearted. Put your entire heart into your relationship again. Now, I get it. It's scary. What if I put it in there and then my wife just gets on Facebook and ignores me? That's scary, right? Then you'll just be rejected. So what a lot of us do is because we're, we don't dare put our whole heart into re, in our relationship because we're so afraid of rejection. So we then have a half-hearted relationship. And if we have a half-hearted relationship, predict the outcome. That's half the benefit, half the intimacy, half the closeness, half the communication, half the connection, half, half of the truth. Uh, Brene Brown has a great quote that says, we spend far, um, we spend enormous energy trying to dodge vulnerability when it would take far less effort to face it straight on. One of the things that may keep us half-hearted in our relationship is we're just too vulnerable. We don't want to be let down. And one of the rules I suggest, and I I just did this in a date night, um, that's basically talking about how to grow a, a, a healthier relationship, higher love, I called it, um, is that we've got to learn to burn our ships. Like uh, Cortez, when he came to conquer, he uh, when they pulled up, they, they, they left the ships and they, they didn't just leave them so they could hurry and run back and, and use them as an exit strategy. Cortez asked that they burn the ship or make them inoperable. So they really took the ships apart. They either took them apart so they couldn't float or they burnt them. And uh, that made it so there was no quick exit strategy from this place. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't just hope to not be fully invested. They had to go win the war. And why that might be important in our relationships is if we're not wholeheartedly in our relationship, then we probably are always looking for exit strategies. One of them might simply be the fact that I can constantly blame my spouse for our problems and I'm always looking for, for you know, um, all, they call it shopping alternatives is what we call it in our relationships. Another thing we can do to, to increase the character in our relationship is loosen your grip. Whenever I feel like I'm too vulnerable to risk anything new, I might try to control everyone around me. And as I try to control them, I might demand more perfection from people. I might try to get my safety and my security, not from my ability to respond to certain situations, but instead I try to get it by making everyone else around me play up a certain role. I want everyone around me to be a better spouse, to be a better child, to not surprise me, to be highly predictable for me. And so I start controlling everyone. I might even demand perfection from everyone. Brene Brown has a great quote that says, when perfectionism is driving, shame is always riding shotgun. When I demand perfectionism from everyone around me, shame is going to go up because what I'm going to do is make everybody feel bad for not making me feel safer. The fastest way to handle uh, life is not to make everyone else around you be more predictable for your sake, 
but instead learn to loosen your own grip and handle your own insecurities and work on it. Another great way to work on it is to actually appreciate the gift you've been given. This is one of my favorite learnings I think I've had in the last, I don't know, two or three months is um, a concept given by C.S. Lewis that talks about we all have given gifts. We have things that we've been given that are beautiful gifts that are really awesome uh, for ourselves and our lives. And then we have what are called the expected gifts. The expected gifts are the things we've always expected to have happen to us. It might be that you've expected that you would get married and be married by now. But the given gift you've got instead isn't marriage. It just might be a really great friend network that, uh, that is very supportive and strong. Um, and uh, C.S. Lewis talks about an example of imagine that you are in a forest and you go looking for food. When the minute you're looking for food, you immediately have an expectation of what kind of food you, you want to find. Right, And so you come across some um, – let's say you're looking for berries, but you come across the mushroom and you don't want the mushroom because you were looking for berries. That's what you expected to get. But if you come across the mushroom, the mushroom is still a gift. It's still food and it would still be very valuable for you, but it's not what you expected and so you don't quite like it. And a lot of us end up spending our entire life searching for what we expect instead of what has actually been given to us. We might keep walking through the forest and come across other leaves that might be edible, or we might come across, you know, other vegetables that are there, roots or whatever, and it's not what we wanted. We were still looking for red berries. I need red berries. And if we go through life and we're constantly overlooking the gifts that are given to us, the jobs that you do have, the kids that you have, the trials that you have, then um, you might actually be able to actually enjoy the things that are given. So one of the pieces of advice is start to identify your great blessings that you've already been handed and start appreciating them and do what you can with the given gift. Ah, Start there, for example. Um, One of the great quotes by C.S. Lewis says, the truth is, of course, that what one regards as interruptions are precisely one's life. What a lot of us are frustrated by in this world because it's interrupting our life is what life is about, right? The, a sickness, an illness, a problem, a child that's disruptive. Whatever it is, it's, it's these interruptions that are there to teach you the lessons we need to live. So there are some basic principles, I think, for all of us. Appreciate the gifts that you actually have been given. Loosen your grip a little bit more and be wholehearted about your relationships in your life. If you do those things, you're going to forge more character, And when we are working with one another and forging character, it's amazing what we become. We all become a little more trustworthy. Isn't that interesting? Matt said that we are born to be social beings and that we're wired to connect. So I guess it's a pretty important skill to learn. I love it when he said, when perfection is driving, shame is riding shotgun. And and it seems like what would perfection have to do with communication and trust? But You see perfection hindering communication all the time. If you're constantly shaming yourself or those around you because they aren't meeting your perfectionistic standards, then what message are you communicating and what barriers are you setting up around yourself to prevent others from communicating with you? 
I love the idea that communication creates higher trust, and trust is necessary for you to put your whole heart into a relationship, which is really the only way you're truly going to get all the benefits of a marriage. But I know it's a lot easier said than done. And that's why I love what Matt said today. Just because something is natural doesn't mean it's easy. Just because empty nesting is a natural part of life and just because communication is a natural part of a healthy relationship doesn't mean it's easy. Well, thanks for listening to today's episode, everyone. I'm Leanna Tan, bringing you the best tidbits to help you live healthier, happier lives. Join me again next time for another episode of Matt Townsend.